Welcome to Business Unmuted, the business discussion programme for the North of England, which comes as a podcast on all good podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Moulton or York. Today, we're live from our sponsor's showroom in Sunderland. And the dealership is a wonder to behold, by the way. It's not just got... Uh, BMWs, it's also got minis and it's got bikes, loads of BMW motorbikes. Anyway, today the theme of our programme is sport and the business of sport. And it should come as no surprise to anyone that sport is big business. If you've visited a stadium or you've got a replica shirt or you've done pay-per-view boxing, it's all money, money, money. Sport England estimates that sport and physical activity contributes around £39 billion to the UK's economy each year. Being in the spotlight, it also has its uh, uh, important points. Uh, any professional sports teams or sports people come with responsibility to conduct themselves in a way that's fitting as a role model. Contributing to communities and the people who support them is also very important for the teams and they carry that out with a good and moral business practice, we hope. Today we've got people who are immersed in the world of sport to discuss some of these things, from running a professional team to operating a community foundation and a massive benefactor with uh, the ability to sponsor both professional and grassroots sports. My panel today is Robert Forrester, CEO of Virtue Motors PLC, whose brands include Bristol Street Motors, Macklin Motors and Virtue Motors, like Virtue BMW here, Jamie Wright, Managing Director of Sunderland Football Club's Foundation of Light, and Paul Blake, Managing Director of Newcastle Eagles basketball team. So thank you all for joining us and thank you to our audience here in Sunderland. First of all, Robert, what a fantastic uh, venue you've got here. It's just off the A19 and the junction that you go towards the Tyne Tunnel, isn't it? Yeah. It's performing well. Yeah, no, we're very pleased with it. We bought it actually between lockdowns, which was a slightly brave move, uh, but it's performing really well. I think the customers have definitely spotted a difference. Let's talk about sport though, rather than motor cars. And we'll talk about motor sport a little later in the, in the uh, show. But on sport, what kind of commitment is Virtue Motors making towards sport? How important is it both financially and I suppose from the point of view of manpower and bandwidth in your business? Yeah, from a from a marketing perspective, it is very, very important. We've got targets for our brand awareness for all our three major brands. And we can clearly go on the television and do TV ads. Uh, that's actually going up by about 18% a year in terms of costs. So by having alternative routes of getting reach, great, you know, very close collaboration with sports organizations, football, uh, basketball, what cricket, uh, then we can associate our brand with their brand access their social media and we just think it helps raise brand awareness and clearly it does you know 51 percent of people in england and wales have heard of bristol street motors and we've grown that by doing a lot of very close-knit collaboration it's not just putting adverts out it's actually working very closely with the sports organizations so that, that's an important reason to do it and there's certainly a, a financial gain but let's drill down for the the, the actual a panoply of things that you are involved in supporting. So let's take it from the top. Sometimes you will see your uh, name associated with World Cup football or F1 or Premier League. Let's take it from the top. Just touch on what, what kind of sports you're involved with. Well, 
we pretty well do all the sponsorship of programmes on Channel 4 for motorsport. Bristol Street Motors has been in motorsport for 40 or 50 years. So F1, Idents, we've got our own W Series, uh, which is the, the women's Formula One for what it's worth. We've got our own team, we've got our own BTCC team. So we've got big motorsport with Bristol Street Motors. Uh, and, and that gives us an immense amount of reach. Well, that's a very logical uh, connection. And we're going to talk to Justina Williams, who's the managing director yes. of the team, a little bit later on. Um, but then you go beyond yeah. motorsport into popular sports like football. What, what kind of relationship have you got? Yeah, so um, for example, in Sunderland, uh, we've got an arrangement where, you know, if you go to Sunderland, you'll clearly see the Virtue Motors brand. If you go to the Virtue Motors arena to watch Newcastle Eagles, you can't not see uh, Virtue Motors and again we, we work very closely with them doing uh, we activate a, a sports partnership with very big it's not just giving money it's actually very high uh, class videos using celebrities or sports mm. personalities which get great social media reach and you know in May on W Series I think we reached about 10 million uh, of the UK population. Now going down a bit further yeah. towards grassroots um, I know that you've got well, well over 160 uh, sites around yes. the UK and you're giving the managers the opportunity to get into sponsoring kids things. Yeah. Kits and things, it's yeah, not because just at the high level. No, absolutely right. I mean, the various things in the community level, uh, whether it might be we might give money to a foundation of a sports team for minibuses to help with underprivileged children and get them into education and get them into the sport, which I think is really important from a social perspective, or just sponsoring the local kids football team or the local rugby team. You know, we want our dealerships to have a family feel to it, to be part of the community. And I think associating with sport is a big part of that. Okay, we'll come back to you in a minute, uh, Robert. Jamie, Managing Director of Sunderland Football Club's Foundation of Light. Now your foundation, there are many foundations associated with larger football clubs and you'll get back to being a larger football club now, of course, uh, Jamie. Tell us the, uh, the, uh, the, op the, the, the strategic objectives that you're pursuing. Yeah, I suppose um, our where we say our role is is to support the football club, work with its community. So, um, as you said, the football club's had a bit of a, a topsy-turvy last few years. Uh, but I think one of the things that I think Sunderland can always be proud of is their connection to their local their local community. So, um, you know, our staff go into the the community and work with um, participants as young as eighteen months, all the way through to. I think our oldest participant last year was 104. Wow. Um, so, um, so yeah, we, we work with the, the full range and it's very much around um, connecting with our community, giving them, providing opportunities, you know, uh, like we've just said there, it's about um, working with um, the heart to reach young, uh, young people and adults who really need that support. So you, you are, are doing it, but let's talk about some of the tangible things that are being delivered on the ground in Wearside and County Durham and Sunderland. And it's not just in the city, of course, it spreads uh, among uh, the communities that support you. Let's talk about some tangibles among young people first. Yeah, so um, we, 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 we run a, a large number of youth projects where um, I suppose we have the, the traditional mass participation events where it's about providing positive activity for young people to get involved in, whether that's sport or, um, or, or, or uh, diversionary activities, you know, in terms of workshops around knife crime and, and antisocial behavior. 
Um, but then we all the way down where we do targeted youth work uh, with with some really hard to reach young people, maybe um, teenagers who have become involved in things like county lines. And mm. um, so, you know, we've got youth mentors that go out to the community work one to one with these young people and hopefully provide a positive role model um, for them to, so that they uh, can see that there's, there's better options out there for them. The uh, lift that being in the championship will bring you won't just be financial, I hope it is financial, but you also have more stars to draw on and you'll have more opportunities, I suppose, to engage. What what kind of things is it doing practically? Yeah, I mean, I, I always say we're quite lucky that we're a, a one club city. So it's not mm. like we're, a, you know, maybe um, a Northwest or a London or a Midlands club where there's clubs on top of clubs. So the football club is the focal point of the mm. city. And, you know, when, when they do well, there's always a feel good factor around the city. And obviously recently when we won the playoff final, finally, uh, won a game in front of our fans at Wembley. Um, you know, that you could you could feel yeah, it. You know, I think London there, felt it as it? well. Um, <laughs> but the, the players have always been brilliant with our community programmes. You know, Bailey Wright won um, Community Player of the Year this year. And, you know, he's very proactive in rallying the, the, the Sunderland squad, getting them out into the community, visiting sessions. You know, there's nothing more um, inspirational for a young person or even an adult. Um, you know, to see the players taking a, a keen interest in, in their community. Paul, let's talk to you a little bit about the Newcastle Eagles basketball team. I watched a movie at the weekend on Netflix called Hustle, and it was about an NBA uh, scout coming to Europe to find basketball stars. Well, you're here in Europe, or not in the EU in that respect, but certainly not in the NBA, um, but you're delivering basketball. Um, it's a bit of an oddity, but it seems to work, doesn't it? Yeah, we're. Um, I suppose you say we're an emerging sport in the UK, mm -hmm. although this is a global sport that's big pretty much everywhere else. I mean, it's number two in China. It's, you know, it's a precedent sport, number two only to football, really. Um, but here, not so much because we have, you know, we have our historic sports that, that the media and politics have followed for, for mm -hmm. a century um, pretty much now. Uh, and, and I suppose what we're into is culture change, ultimately. And, and maybe culture addition, because you're not necessarily yes. wanting to subtract yeah. from yeah. Sunderland's fans or Newcastle yes. fans, but maybe it's an additional pastime to watch. Yes. It was, it was interesting, going, when you go to America, big cities uh, have a baseball team, they have a basketball team, an ice hockey team, a football team. Um, I suppose you, you have sports divided, but among sports fans can can follow lots of different teams but still enjoy their sport absolutely and um you know where i started with this 25 years ago now was was at newcastle united it was um i was marketing manager for the sporting club yeah so john's um great dream and uh you know buying a rugby club buying a basketball club buying it. an ice hockey club i was i was operating all three and the one thing i learned at the time uh was um quite clearly a football supporter is not necessarily a rugby supporter. A basketball supporter is not necessarily an ice hockey supporter. And, and you go on, you know, they both, they all have their distinct markets and are bringing um, different customers. Now, you've got a stadium, which is got an arena, I should say. Yes. And virtue, yeah. it's called the Virtue Motors Arena. Beautiful building. Uh, absolutely. And it's not just used for the games, obviously. What, what, are, what are the things it's used for? That's right. So we've, um, in, in building the building and, you know, the great support that we've had from, from Robert and the, and the team, 
it's allowed us to uh, to open out it, it, as a priority. It's actually a community centre. Mm -hmm. So so we also run a foundation in the same way that Jamie does. Uh, and if you if you come to the venue on a Saturday or a Sunday, you're going to see 125 teams playing basketball in our in what we call our central venue league. So the demand for the support is uh, for the sport is is quite significant. Um, we have over 2,000 young people playing in those clubs. So the underpinning thing for the venue is is community number one. Home venue for the men's team and the women's team from a, um, a profile um, professional sports point of view and then other events. So we will be hosting boxing next month. Um, we have trade shows, exhibitions, college exams, Newcastle College exams were in, in the building last week, business events. So it's, it's a multi-purpose multi community venue now. Well, because one of the biggest vaccination centres, I think. Oh, in the sorry, yeah, yeah. I, I, I shouldn't forget that. <laughs> yeah. 100, 120,000 people came through the building during, um, uh, during, during the lockdown. Yeah, 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 where we had to flex a little bit and work out, you know, another use for the building to uh, uh, to keep the business moving. Um, just just to explain for the uninitiated what the British Basketball League is and where your standing is within it. Okay, so British Basketball League is a league of 11 clubs. Um, it's the top tier of the pyramid of, of, of basketball in this country. Uh, teams from Glasgow to Plymouth. We're the most successful team in the history of the sport in this country. We've won 27 trophies in the last 15 or so years. Not a great season last season, just a blip. Um, you know, we're back on track next year. And, Four trophies to win every year. So, uh, and you send scouts to America, or are they sending scouts to you to go to that Netflix movie? Very interesting question. So, it's a global market. We deal with agents in the same way every other sport does. There are a lot of players coming out of the states, as you'd imagine, but there's a lot of players coming from everywhere. Um, we have a slight added difficulty with Brexit now. We're not going to the politics oh, yes, of that yes, today, there, but our ability uh, to bring Europeans into the uh, the UK now is is more difficult because of um, visas, etc. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a global game. We're, we're hiring players from all around the world. Let's go back up the panel again and pick on something that Robert said. He was talking about sponsoring the women's Formula yes. One. The W Series is what it's called now. You have a women's basketball league. In we fact, do. my notes say that you've broke records in women's basketball for attendance. Last season, yeah, yeah. So we had a, a, a paid attendance of just under 1,300 to a game last season which broke the, the, the British record for, for basketball. The, um, the actual record is at one of the finals this year, uh, just short of 9,000. Uh, so, so, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a new venture. What, what, what can we say about support for women's sport over the last 50, 60 years? It's not been there yeah. um, quite incorrectly. Uh, we're kind of, I hate to say, picking up the pieces. Uh, commercially picking up the pieces to try and quickly drive women's professional sport forward uh, in the absence of anything happen happening at all in the 60s, 70s, 80s. And um, it, there's a lot of work to do. Well, let's talk about the football. Of course, women's football is now getting its television airing mm -hmm. uh, and, and the Community Foundation obviously serves all genders, races, creeds and so on. How important do you think, Jamie, it is that the management of professional sports now look at uh, bringing women in, into it with their own leagues and their own competitions? Yeah, I mean, we've got a, a really proud history with um, women's football in, in, in the area. So seven of the last England World Cup squad 
actually came through Sunderland's pathway. So um, the foundation have, have funded the, the girls' version of the academy uh, for the last 10 years. So um, we, we take it really seriously and it's great to see that um, Sunderland have um, they've got a professional team again that's full-time within the, uh, within the club structure. Um, just appointed their first full-time head coach uh, for a number of years. So, um, yeah, Sunderland are, are taking it seriously again, which is great to see because, you know, Steph Horton, Jill Scott, Lucy Bronze, um, all came through the, 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 the Sunderland pathway. Now, both of you are involved in the sport in different levels. And, and, and when it comes to the connections, everything works when everything works. But when something doesn't work, uh, a player gets into some kind of scandal or a football team is accused of, uh, of some kind of uh, uh, association like Abramovich and Chelsea. When things don't work, sponsorship and sports collapses pretty quickly. Now, Robert, you witnessed this from the sponsorship side uh, before Christmas last year. Just tell us uh, your side of the story when it comes to Yorkshire County Cricket. Yeah, we were one of the major sponsors of Yorkshire County Cricket. Um, and clearly there were problems within the club. Uh, with regards to racism, the accusations, uh, which were clearly true, uh, parliamentary scrutiny, uh, oversight from the ECB. And along with the rest of the sponsors, uh, we all made a stand and said that we would see sponsorship, mm. particularly actually to put pressure on the management. Because if you withdraw financial sponsorship to an entity that needs it, then it produces a lot of pressure. Though I think they were under enough pressure as it was. Um, but we took a slightly uh, different view than a lot of the sponsors and we actually actively engaged, even though we would stop sponsorship, with the new management at Yorkshire, with Lord Patel and the new board that he put in place, because we thought we had, a, we had something to bring by giving the view of potential sponsors, as we were then, uh, and to make sure that if we were going to go back in, that we knew exactly what we were getting into. And I'm pleased to say, I thought Lord Patel has done a fantastic job and an absolute, clearly a super individual to lead the change that needs to take place in Yorkshire. And as he always says, that you know there are more cricket clubs in Yorkshire than there are in Australia, uh, which is a staggering yeah. statistic. Uh, but it is very segregated. And actually in Newcastle is the same, you know, Asian leagues, yeah. Uh, Whiteley is just not right. So there's a lot of cultural change. We're pleased that we've gone back in with Yorkshire now. We've given a donation to their foundation to fund the minibus to get into the disadvantaged communities. And I think we, we aided, I think, the thinking of the club. And certainly we were very supportive of what happened with Lord Patel. And I think the fact that the uh, club had a foundation, Jamie, l listening to that story, I remember rightly, you effectively, you'd frozen uh, sponsorship of the, the regular activity, but you boosted, because you had extra money, I suppose, uh, the foundation. Yeah, no, we, we, you gave you've a got to start at the grassroots, haven't you? You've got to get the culture right at the grassroots. And where's the work need to be done? It's in the underprivileged, disadvantaged areas of Yorkshire, of which there are it's some very rich areas of Yorkshire and there's some mm. very, very poverty-stricken areas of Yorkshire. So What's by funding the foundation, we thought we could start at the right place. So as a manager of a team and as a foundation, what do you think about that approach compared to sort of the, the, the way in which a larger corporate might just walk away and that's it? I mean, we've, we've been through a similar yeah. thing. Uh, we had a high profile case at the football club yes. there not so many years ago. And, um, you know, we, we, you know, when the football club is doing well, you take all the positives. But when it doesn't, you obviously incur some of the, the negatives as well. So I think that approach is... 
is 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 brilliant because I think with with that as wrong as it is, there's an opportunity to educate. Yeah. You know, and you know our slogan is involved, educate, and inspire. So you know we would we're nothing without our partners. You know, we need our partners to to support us. So that that approach is absolutely brilliant and. You know, one that I wish was adopted, um, yeah. you know, by, by some of the partners that we had at the time. Well, you, you take Yorkshire. I mean, there was a chance the Yorkshire Cricket Club wouldn't exist. Yeah. And, uh, and problem, I can't imagine it? Yorkshire County, even though I'm a Lancastrian, couldn't imagine Yorkshire County Cricket Club not existing. That would have been, a, 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 in my opinion, a, a so, major problem. So, so I'm just the custodian of the club at this point in time. Mm. I'm, just, I'm the captain of the ship for now, yeah. but I want the club to be around in 100 years time, as Yorkshire have been around for many, many years managed by different regimes so because something's gone wrong here doesn't mean that the club should disappear and, and fade into you know into the darkness it's it's a club for the community at the end of the day and the pylon in modern uh marketing slash the twitter sphere the media politics the the pylon that you have when there's a problem sometimes doesn't give you a breathing space to solve the problem does it it's suffocating. I mean, we've we've fortunately, not that you've had a problem like that. Huh? No, fortunately, we've we've not had any high-profile incidents like that. But but things happen, don't they? And uh, you know, we have an absolute zero tolerance policy. But equally, because of where our sport is in it uh, commercially, um, we don't have issues with agents to the same level. For example, um, the, the the players are more with the club, if that makes sense. So so we have we have sets of rules and charters in place that say if, if this happens that you know sorry it's termination you know very very simply um uh, unfortunately you know touch it up to now nothing's nothing's really happened in, in in that area well look the three of you thank you very much for being the first part of the program the program today is divided into two we've got a final recorded bit to to introduce to you in a minute but in the meantime can i thank uh, Robert and Jamie, uh, and, and thank, thank, you, thank you all, Paul as well, uh, for joining us live here at BMW, uh, Virtue BMW's dealership in Sunderland. Thank you very much. Well, uh, it, it, it is a, a lovely dealership, but motorsports uh, and the motor industry wasn't always as flash as the products that you can read and see here. Um, since the early days of motorsport, town-to-town -town racing, the 90, 1880s, motorsports attracted huge interest from businesses wanted to be aligned with the glamour of speed and cutting-edge technology. Uh, entering motorsports has lots of challenges though, but a relatively new team, Accelerate, is making waves on the British motorsport scene. Justina Williams is the owner of Accelerate, which competes in Mini Challenge JCW and Trophy and the British Touring Car Championships. Justina, you've got a bit of a different background to team owners, having had a career outside uh, the motorsport industry and built businesses. How has this influenced the way in which you've structured your team? Uh, I think the, it has influenced me quite a lot. Uh, for one, I didn't ever expect to be running a race team. I was a racing driver, but it was an opportunity that was given to me to say uh, that the owners of the Mini Challenge said, I think you could run a really good race team with myself and my husband. wasn't expected, but I think the way we went at it was that we were running businesses. They were in London. One was a financial planning business. One was a recruitment firm. And I think we just thought it's, it's business first and it's sport second. And we very much continued with understanding that 
the client is king. If you don't have clients, then you don't have a business. So we really focused on the client service, how we looked after them, the experience they had with us. And you can't always keep everyone happy because in motorsport, there's so many things out of your control, but the things you can control, you need to be able to take on board the feedback, the good and the not so good. If it's not so good, then listen and actually take it on board and see if you can change. And if you can change, implement it rather than I have seen in the past, a lot of people would say, that's just how it is. Well, you, you obviously are running a decent business because you've persuaded people like Bristol Street Motors uh, and Vans Direct to be part of your business model as sponsors. How have you persuaded them? And what, what do you use their money for? Oh, we use it for them, <laughs> really. Of course, it helps. That's the, the right thing too. to say. But, uh, but what do you practically <laughs> use it for? Yeah, it's very much a case of it's all about brand awareness and having that relationship with someone. Mm. So working with Bristol Street Motors and Vans Direct has been very important to us because not only has it helped us build the team's credibility, it helps Bristol Street Motors have uh, um, their scene on TV and live coverage on ITV now and ITV4, which is incredible. Mm. And it's getting the, the, the message out there that we're working together. So we're very much in partnership. And hopefully from the, off the back of that, they'll have plenty of sales of cars, plenty of sales of vans, and for people to um, go to them first over anybody else because they see the, the synergy and the relationship they have with us as a team. So let's talk about uh, the other very important dynamic of your team. It's not quite a USP, but it's certainly an important selling point, and that is the fact that you encourage more women into motorsport, and it's part of your role as a Girls on Track UK ambassador. Tell us about the ambassador programme and why it's so important to you. It's very important to me because when I was 16, I was given an opportunity to become uh, an apprentice, but an industrial electrician apprentice on a nuclear power station, and I was the only girl oh, wow. 5,000 men. 5,000 so, fellas and you're the only girl on a nuclear power station. And what correct. were you doing as an apprentice? What was the skill that you were learning? Oh, lots of different things. It, it was very much a case of some of it was doing the wiring looms for the control panels for the reactor. Wow. So, you know, what an opportunity as a young girl to have such a big responsibility. We were doing the security systems, the lighting systems, uh, we're putting in all the sockets, everything, the lighting. But this isn't like what you'd see in a house. This is huge um, pieces of equipment, big load centers. And it was such an opportunity for a young person to have that. So this so is where you got your breakout, obviously. You were a woman uh, in isolation. But then it comes to motorsport and the ambassadorship? Yeah, I think it's helped because they need to have role models and to have someone that's come from a background of being an electrician and then moved on to very many different things in my life to then become uh, a team owner, which is incredible and I've loved it. And from before that, a racing driver, it's quite a good story to encourage and inspire young girls to think that I don't have to make a decision now. I can do whatever I want to do in life and that can change throughout my lifetime, but I can do whatever I want to do. That's brilliant. There's nothing stopping you. Now, obviously, your story is, as you say, a, a, great, a great story to encourage as a, a, as a role model. But what else can be done to get more women into motorsport? And what do you think the role of partners and sponsors should be? A lot of it is education. And actually, Bristol Street Motors has been fantastic with that, with their typical woman driver 
programme, which is about engaging with females and that we're not all typical women drivers, just like me. I was a racing driver. I'm not a typical woman driver. And it's in, encouraging people to understand the opportunities. And that actually is showing people. So I do a lot of work with the army. Uh, we've just done an event at our workshop. And then we do events, which we are at Croft, with the Power of Women uh, charity, which is to do with Bristol Street Motors as well. And then also I'm hosting the F- F1 in schools uh, on that weekend. And it's all about p- people to see you can do it. It's being able to see it. And I think that's the thing we're lacking. There's very little visibility that actually people do do this. It isn't just make-believe. It does happen. Well, you've got your trophies behind you to demonstrate (laughs) the success. Thank you for talking to us. May you go on to more and more success and keep up that ambassadorship role. Thank you very much, Justina. Thank you.